Welcome back to another episode of Nobody's Muses. This is Rachel. This is Crystal. And Crystal, we're here once again. Probably, we're going to say this is our last conversation about Daisy Jones and the Six. Maybe. Yeah, I would consider this kind of a season finale. Yeah, a season finale mm-hmm. of this run of our podcast, Nobody's Muses. If the, if you are somehow stumbling upon us on your um, feed on YouTube, um, or we came up on something wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, uh, please go back. Give us a listen to prior episodes where we have dove in and dissected the Amazon original series, Daisy Jones and the Six, based on the novel by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Um, we've been off for a couple of weeks. We finished our conversation over all of the episodes and then some, but we wanted to come back um, and talk about a couple of things. So first off, we want to talk about Emmy nominations came out. Super exciting to see that the show received nine Emmy nominations, which, you know, as you and I have done, gone through this podcast together, um, we have kept saying, you know, gosh, I, I hope they get the credit that they deserve because, you know, we're probably super fans. We've read the book. We've listened to the audio. We've watched the show countless times. <laughs> countless times i watched episodes again i just got back from vacation i watched episodes on the plane ride down and i watched episodes on the plane ride back because i'm an anxious flyer as it is and so sometimes when you have anxiety you need things that are comfortable and that you enjoy um so for me i watched daisy jones and the six on the plane ride down but we've got nine emmy nom- nominations so i wanted us to talk through these and you know just kind of you know share our thoughts and feelings. So first one for outstanding music supervision. Okay. Uh, track eight look, uh, looks like we made it. Um, musical supervisor was Frankie Pine. And I believe Frankie Pine was pretty much the musical supervisor on every episode. Um, and we have discussed the fact that she has done a lot, um, of this work and she has done a lot of quality work and just double checking. Yeah. She's done Nashville, which is a show you and I both loved. She did magic Mike. Um, she worked on the music for the 2000 film traffic. So she has done this before and she has done this well and she does this for every episode, but she specifically got a, a nod for track eight. Looks like we made it. So that was pretty cool. And that's a good one because that has like Boston, that like has a lot of, um, like, because it's when they're on tour and, yep. you know, that's um, the moment where, you know, a lot of things change. I believe, I mean, that's the, at the end when she um, overdoses, isn't it track eight? Um, that's also the episode where Karen finds out she's pregnant. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a really great episode. So we have Frankie Pine, for track eight, looks like we made it, receiving that Emmy knob. Um, then we got, we've got another nomination for outstanding period costumes for a limited anthology series or movie. And that also went to track eight, looks like we made it. So Crystal, help me understand. You may understand. Do they, do they submit all episodes of the show or do they just submit like they submit a single one. episode for Emmy consideration? So they, they send um, one episode for Emmy consideration. Okay. Um, track eight looks like we made it for best and they received a 
nomination for Outstanding Period Costumes for a limited or anthology series. Um, Denise Wingate and Derek uh, was costume designer. Derek Sullivan, costume supervisor. I think we, you know, we've mentioned throughout this as two two kids that grew up in the 70s, had older siblings. Um, every, I, I, there was not a piece of clothing I thought that didn't hit the mark. Um, it was all, and I mean, the simplest of things of a style of boot, a purse that was carried, everything hit the mark as far as the costuming of this series. So awesome job for that. Outstanding production design for a narrative period or fantasy program, one hour or more, very specific. And that went to track 10. So the final episode, track 10. Uh, rock and roll suicide. So that's the culmination of everything. That's the Chicago um, concert, the breakup, all of that. So that got outstanding production design. So that's going to include even like um, almost like locations. So all the different locations that they used, um, the hotel, the way they made it, it look like a big crowd. That's like, that's the production design. It's a little bit, it's, it's a little bit different than the art direction, but it's kind of part of that whole um, group. Excellent. Excellent. Next up is outstanding casting for a limited or anthology series or movie. And that went to Daisy Jones and the Six. And who was so the, the series as a whole, um, the nomination the with, um, ju- as far as casting, mm-hmm. who did it? uh, Justine Arteta, okay. um, from CSA and Kim Davis Wagner from CSA. So that's just, that's a nomination for the entire cast, basically, right? Well, it's for the casting. It's, so It's, it's for the casting, but it's incorporating the entire cast. Yeah, so, but, like, um, casting is its own special art. And so they are people who, if you look on, basically, like, my, I, I'm for, like, for some, I'm such a nerd, like, I have a favorite casting person. Her name's Allison Jones. And basically, every show that you love, probably, like, The Office, Parks and Rec, she did the casting for that, and she did, she's done tons of, tons of casting for movies like Bridesmaids. If it's a comedy, and and it's been made in the past twenty years, there's a good chance that Allison Jones did the casting for it. So, so that's kind of like they are people, and they kind of if you impress a casting agent, they might not use you for this, but they're going to keep you in mind for other things, and so they have a lot of power. And um, are, it's an incredible talent to be able to go, oh, I think this person would be good for this. Like they are basically, in, they, are, they are curators of talent. Next up, we had outstanding period and or character makeup, non-prosthetic. And that went to track 10, Rock and Roll Suicide. So the final episode. Um, and then we get outstanding lead actress in a limited series. And that went to Riley Keough for um for the show so that to she me has a good chance on that i do i think she does too i'm not my list that i have pulled up right now does not have all the other nominees on there so um but you know she she just did she encapsulated daisy just to perfection and the fact that she is somebody who never sang or played music before has always really and I think part of it is probably trying to get on out from underneath the shadow of her famous family. She went the film route as opposed to going to the musical route. Um, but man, there's, there's something to be said for DNA and natural talent because she had it and did such a remarkable job um, in this, you know, with everything that she did. I saw a funny clip the other day. It was an interview that I hadn't seen yet 
Um, and I know in the book, um, there's a point in which Daisy chops her hair all off when she's over. I want to say when she's over in Greece, yeah, maybe. Does, yeah. She chops her hair completely off and comes back. Um, they tried to find a wig that would work and could never find a wig for day for Riley that would work for her. And they, there it was, it was really a funny interview. And she talked about how they just, they went through so many weeks and just could not, find, could not find a wig. So they opted to just leave her hair long. So, fine. yeah. So, so here's who she's up against. Jessica's Chastain for George and Tammy, which I keep meaning to watch. I'm going to have to get showtime for a month I know, because I you know, I love either, George but, yeah. and Tammy. Um, um, Catherine Hahn, tiny, beautiful things who Catherine Hahn is, you know, great. But that don't, I mean, Ali Wong for Beef. If you haven't watched Beef, oh my God, it's intense. Like, so intense on Netflix. Um, Dominique Fishback for Swarm. Haven't seen that. It's supposed to be good. And then Lizzie Kaplan for Fleischman is in trouble. So some heavy hitters there. Um, but I think people love it when people have to sing or look ugly. So I, I feel really, or look old. So I have a feeling, I feel really good about um, Riley for this. Um, yeah. So I would, um, that would just, but to me, when you think of all the TV shows out there now, really just getting nominated is truly, it's the truth. There's just so much you know, content. It's one thing when it was, you know, you had your three major networks, yeah. but when you have all of these streaming services and some of them being stream only, they're never yes. on network television, man, the fact, like you said, the fact that she even got nominated is just yeah, I, I mean, like, I don't think now things are snubs if people don't get nominated because there's just so much content out there. Yeah. I mean, especially when you think of shows that like Succession, where three actors got nominated for one category. Let's keep going with um, Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Limited Anthology Series or Movie. And that's Camilla Marone um, was nominated for Camille. So, um amazing you know I, she does not have a lot of acting under her belt she um has modeled in the past um but again we have you know i'm sure she's got some stiff competition out there that she is up against but she just really did such an amazing job of not only just she encapsulated the character so well a character that you know Again, if you read this book beforehand, if you listened to the audio beforehand, you were invested in these characters before we came into the show. So everybody had, you know, Taylor did such a great job of describing the look and describing the person themselves that, um, you know, we came into it with a mindset of what Camilla was going to look like. And Camilla Marone did a great job bringing that to life. And um, that, that, one's a, that one's a little bit more, um, I think... It, I don't think she'll win it. There's too yeah. many people there who are um, like Niecy Nash, um, Juliette Lewis. Uh, those are, I mean, Annalie Ashford is so great. I think that, and they have like a reputation. So yeah. for Camila just to get nominated definitely is right. such a huge thing. But you never know. They love when people die. So somebody having <laughs> cancer is always a thing that gets voted for too. So. The pity vote. Yeah, pity vote. <laughs> um, finally, or not finally, but um, next up is Outstanding Limited or Anthology Series. So the entire series was nominated. Um, and again, I'm just happy that they got the acknowledgement because yeah. I think the show is worth it. So who are they up against? So it's, it's Beef, Fleischman is in Trouble, Monster, The Jeffrey Dahmer Story, and Obi-Wan Kenobi. The last one is Outstanding Sound Mixing. 
for a limited or anthology series or movie. It's uh, track 10, Rock and Roll Suicide for best sound, outstanding sound mixing. Um, So you have your, you know, re-recording mixers, you have your production mixer and you have your music mixer. And they did all did, you know, that episode is one that, you know, there's ones that I'll go back to and watch just as their own. And like, I always hit number three, I always hit track three and I'll go back and watch track 10. And, oh, you know, I'll watch, if I'm watching them out of order or something, I'll just grab one to watch. So four is really my favorite. Four is. For that. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, okay. You know, so there's our nomination. So now here's the next part of it is who knows if we'll actually, I mean, we're probably not going to have, which kind of, uh, we're not going to have a show, but I do hope they get to have an Emmy an Emmy show. I mean, the Emmys are always, I like, I like award shows. I like the Tonys. I like the Emmys. I like watching those. So I really want to see this. I really want to see the cast back together and glammed up, hopefully um, to receive some awards. I want to see some looks, man. Yes. And I also would like, Oh, what if they got to perform? perform? I would lose my damn mind. Oh my God. I would die. I would would love that. I would love that. And they don't even have to like, I mean, I'd like them in costume, but we also know that the guys have cut their hairs back, their hair okay. back off. So, I mean, they don't have to wear wigs. Don't put them in bad wigs. Um, but man, oh man, oh man, I would love to see them perform. Yeah, that would be good. I mean, I'd love to good. have a moment like whenever Gaga and um, Bradley performed at the Oscars, which I have watched that so many times. Like I think I'm probably part of the half a million views on that. Like I, like I, you're I don't good a hundred. You're good a hundred and fifty thousand of them. I mean, I when if I'm feeling like I need to watch something, that's something that comes up very quickly. So, understand. Okay, so what we did want to focus on for this episode is we wanted to focus on the original music for the show, um, and we wanted to kind of go back through it and talk a little bit about it. Um, there is so much to discuss. I think. Um, for those of us who are, you know, probably considering ourselves diehard Daisy Jones and the six fans, I know that this is a constant on my Spotify without fail. Like when, when they do your rear end recap on Spotify, my top songs for this year are probably going to be all related to the Aurora soundtrack. (laughs) So we're going to focus on the Aurora album. There's a lot of great original music. Um, but we're going to focus on the Aurora album itself. Um, and talk about some of the tracks on there. Um, so let's go. Okay. Where do you want to kick it off at? So this is going to have a little bit of like, I mean, music theory in it for people. I mean, it's a little bit nerdy, but I'm trying to, and some of it, you know, I might be talking out of my ass. I'm just trying to, um, things that I've noticed. And I would say the one thing that I really noticed in all, in most of the songs that were written for this is there is this constant like lots of lot most songs rock songs especially typical songs have um you know you have your your major chords there and then your minor chords and they're kind of mixed together because they're in the same key a lot of times so um but in a lot of the songs um written for this show there is a definite kind of almost conflict or two very distinct things going on in the song that it will start maybe in a minor key and then it will move into a major key and minor keys usually are more sad or you know intense and then major keys are happy so let's start with aurora 
So Aurora actually is, is, and when we look at it in the context of who wrote it fictionally, who wrote it, that is, it's Billy wrote this. This is his first song he basically wrote after all, you know, going through rehab and stuff. And it's um, this song that is, um, got happy chords. It starts in a major key. And let me just, um, we're going to try and experiment here and um, I'm going to play it. If we're unable to share it, I will put in the notes. Um, the, um, all of the notes will have um, the, this tracks and the segments that I'm playing. So let me just share my screen. Okay, so that part, you know, if you listen to that, that is um, like just happy music. And um, just, and it's basically, it's, you know, there's some different kind of key um, chords there, but it's a major key, happy. And then as you get to um, this next part. Okay, so there we've got like these cool sevenths, these bluesy songs. So it's kind of changing the tone, but it's still all in a major key. This whole song is major. It's happy. There's that kind of twangy thing. So when you think about what's going on in the actual song, right, you know, in the actual show, I think it's appropriate. And, um, and it might be just a coincidence, but I doubt it. Because who, when they were writing this, they were thinking about each, you know, the characters and where they were. Right. So all we should say all throughout this, um, Blake Mills is the, I think he writes on every one of these tracks. He produced every one of the tracks. Um, you know, just a altogether kind of workhorse singer-songwriter. This one was written by Blake Mills, Cass McCombs, Chris Wiseman, and Matt Sweeney. And again, all of these just workhorse singer-songwriters, they've worked with everybody. They've worked on their own. They've produced. They've backed. They've just, yeah. So we got we got just some real, you know, well-known singer-songwriters throughout the entire album. Well, an interesting little tidbit. Also, I was listening to some other people, and they had just gone to the Joni Jam at the Gorge. Um, a couple of weeks ago and Blake Mills performed with Joni. Like he, he's part of, um, he's part of like Brandy Carlisle, her contingent, that whole group of people. So he's very, um, just a well-respected music maker, you know? So, so, okay. So we go to here and then we go into the next track is, um, let me down easy. And that one, once again, is doing something interesting because it is, you know, this is the first song that they write together. And um, let's just listen to it for a second. So if you're listening to that, that's minor keys right there. And that's, um, so it's kind of, you know, there's some tension there with the, what they're doing. And then, you know, and it's all about, um, the idea of the song is also kind of, I'm lost. There's these, you know, there's conflict. And then when you go into the next part. So that part though is a major 
chord. So there's this, um, it goes, starts minor, and then they switch into a major chord. Now, that isn't that odd to do that that much, but these are, it's really distinct, distinct enough that me, who's not, I mean, I've done some music theory, but I really notice it in this song about this idea. And I think, you know, part of it has to do with the idea of what's going on with Billy and um, Daisy. I think it is there, and it's this kind of like, also the idea of kind of this kind of when you're saying if you let me down let me down easy the fact that it's in this major kind of happy sound um you know we talked about that before how we like songs that kind of do that so um that's just um i thought an interesting idea of what's going on there and i so think this song actually has two female writers um ali tamposi and zberg along with blake mills and james valentine um Ali Tamposi co-wrote the Kelly Clarkson hit Stronger um, and, you know, again, has done a whole lot of other things. But that was one that stuck out to me um, that a lot of people would know is that that single of Kelly Clarkson's super popular. Zeberg um, has done a lot of her own music as a part of a duet, a duo. Um, so just, again, really talented journeyman songwriters that are out there, you know, creating art every day. So then um, I think a less, um, probably a lesser known of the the songs, um, Kill You to Try is the third track. I love this song. Oh, I love it too. And I feel like, but here's the thing about Kill You to Try, especially, I feel like it starts a lot of their songs, also the songs on this album, which really feeds into the kind of the whole 70s of it all is they... They kind of start off sounding one thing, and then there's like a weird, like they're built, they're not structurally built the way most pop songs are. There's like something different happening. Kill You to Try starts off in minor. I've been an angel all summer long. And, um, and kind of a bluesy kind of minor um, idea. And then when we, and that goes for a while, and then all of a sudden, will go to this moment where it changes to something really different whenever we get to um, kind of, it's kind of like a mid-chorus because it's not really the chorus, um, but it, if you listen to it, there's like a break and he does this kind of bridge. so like there's this kind of abrupt change like he's talking you know it's this it's kind of an odd part of the song because we've had a very different beginning and then this kind of bridge and then we go into this which is is very different kind of song you know and um i think it's just a cool way to um it just very 70s in that sense you know a lot of songs like you think of like um Layla or you know the songs like late 60s early 70s and where they're they're really trying to experiment with the form they're not writing pop songs anymore there's something else happening here and um also 
for, for me, when I hear the Kill You to Try, I think of there's a sequence of a montage of them making the Roar album and you see Teddy playing the xylophone and it's from, you know, that song. Yeah. Um, and I just love, the, well, the end of it, um, the lyrics at the end, it's like, um, let me come home, let me come, let me come home to you. And you hear Daisy singing, show me, I'd blind myself to see it. Mm-hmm. I don't know, something about that line. And then he goes on to say, what is it? I come home. What is it that I must do? I come home. And then she sings, if I tell you, promise me you're leaving. I don't know. Something about but the whole show me I blind myself to see it. I I, I, I love that line. Um, this one has got um, Barbara and Ethan Grusco along with um, along with Blake Mills again. Just again to. Um, you know, singer songwriters that have, uh, they have the, uh, Barbara has the bell brigade that she and Ethan are in together. They're siblings, brothers and sisters. Um, but yeah, they have the bell brigade, which is their own band, but they've written a ton of stuff for people. So, but that's one of my favorite. And I do, I love the, the, um, xylophone and that little, that little tidbit of seeing the back of Teddy playing yes. and getting involved in it as I a lot of producers that. do. I, I love that end part. Like I have, I get that part in my head a lot. That and that do 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 do. Just that part is gorgeous. Well, um, we know. Isn't that the song when they finish recording it? There's like this extensive hug, this extended hug at the end. That there's kind of a, a realization or something from um, Graham. No, I that's after. Th- um, let me down easy. Oh, shoot. Okay, never mind. That's okay. We'll take it out. Okay, you can edit that out. Anyway. Um, <laughs> and so then the next one, and I mean, Rachel, you can speak more of this one. Two Against Three um, is the next track. I don't really like this track. Um, you know, it's not one of my favorites. Um, but with any, you know, album, you're going to have your solid favorites. I would be curious to know... The LP itself, because Amazon went out and marketed an LP for this, so you can get it. I'm wondering where track, I mean, it wouldn't stop here because this is only four tracks in, but I'm I'm curious as to where side A and side B are and where that break is. If anybody has purchased that, I'm trying not to purchase more things so like that that are going to take up space in my life. So, yes. But if anyone else has purchased that, um, and can tell us, I would love to know. So, you know, leave it in the comments. Nobody's muses at gmail.com. So do it. Um, but I just Please. didn't, um, I mean, I, I just, there's certain things I feel like it just, it's kind of meandering and it's, um, songwriting and I don't know, it just wasn't yeah. for me. I don't know. Maybe they were trying to go for some kind of Joni Mitchell blue kind of idea. It's, you I know, just a woman and her guitar. Um, I would just say, I don't think the lyrics or the, or, I mean, Riley, Riley has a strong, gorgeous voice, but it's not got that kind of power that like a Joni Mitchell has, you know? Yeah. So, um, so then we go into, you know, the, the, the song. song, the song. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of in the book. It's, you know, the thorough, it's all through it. And, um, in the, in the show, it's the moment where she joins the singing and she turns the thing that he loved into something he hates. But if we think about it, Look at Us Now on the Aurora album is actually a re-release 
because that was the single on 789, the six's previous album. So, which I mean, is fine. You know, they had to get that song in on the Aurora album for the fans. But right. um, yeah, they took this. This was kind of controversial because, again, if you look at the original lyrics in the album or in the book, um, and we even kind of had this, you know, you could see this tension of what the lyrics initially were supposed to be and what Daisy changed them into kind of had the same thing of what the original honeycomb was in the book and what you know Blake Mills did to change it and actually there's a lot of writers on this one Jason Bozell, Jonathan Rice, Marcus Mumford and um, Stephanie Smith who's worked with the chicks in the past as well as Blake Mills has but um, but they changed they changed the song up completely which we won't rehash that but I mean, I love the song. I, I love it. I listen to it a lot. I would say the first time that I heard it, I was like, oh, the baby, baby, baby part. I don't I don't know. I was like, you couldn't think of some lyrics to fill that part in, you know? That's kind of, you know, one of my, just one of my own personal things. I mean, I get it. Hey Jude has lots of na-na-nas, but <laughs> I'll, I know Paul can write lyrics. So, um, but I, now I really do like it. And I, especially because I like what they're doing with it. Um, Mm -hmm. there's this whole, there's a song and then there's these breaks, this, um, oh, we can make a good thing bad. Like, then it goes like the timing completely changes. You go from, you know, this, uh, a a regular time. And then basically there's a break as they say, oh, we can make a good thing bad. Um, Well, and and, then we have the break with Graham's guitar before they get into the line. And how did we get here? How do we get out that, that guitar? Oh my God. I don't know what it is about that riff, that guitar. Just I love, 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 well, love that. Yeah. So love it. here's the. So I think I think one reason we love it is because it's probably, um, and I'll play I'll play both. So the other thing I would say is though I think the interesting thing too is that really strong part. Like it's a break every time. I know we you know we can make a good thing bad. And what I believe the original lyrics for Billy were is I know that we can get it all back. Yes. Yeah. So she changes that and changes the whole meeting. And then when we get there and then we get how do we get there? How do we get out? Looks like it used to be something to see. That makes it even harder. You right. know, well, and, remember her lying a, a line of it's a speech and at least it could be a, at the least it should be a conversation. Yeah. So lyrically um, it changes, but also these ideas, these, these big because of the way the break is in the song, that lyric change, you know, in this in the world of Daisy Jones and the Six is even that more um, of a big deal because it's kind of um, it's it's because this song doesn't really have a traditional chorus. It has a lot of verses and it has these. I know we can get it make, you know, make a good thing bad. But those it's not a traditional like verse, verse, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus type of thing. Right. So but yes, one of the big moments of the song and I will share my screen as as uh, Rachel was so excited to talk about is this idea of the guitar solo. And let's me just play this guitar solo from. Um, from the song. Dead. Dead. I'm dead. That moment, I'm dead. <laughs> I mean, it's great. 
I just, I'm just it is, it's love. It's such a great guitar solo. And I would say one of the reasons why I think it really, um, we really love it is because it sounds so much like this guitar solo. something I noticed from the very beginning and like Lindsey Buckingham has a very distinct way of playing because he kind of slaps his fingers like nobody else plays like Lindsey Buckingham whatever they're trying to do in um look at us now definitely is trying to kind of pull from that I think in a really great way not in a, a cheesy ripoff kind of way but to but to establish this is who we are this is what this band is about so um and I think one of the other reasons why I love this song um, is then when we get to track 10 and we see um, this song take on yet another meaning as we see the demise of the band. Um, because we have that final, that final scene where, you know, the final concert scene where, um, you know, she, Daisy gives Billy permission to leave the stage, even though they're going to play the song. And she ends up doing the song on her own. And she's singing these lines to each and every one of the band members. Um, Billy's not there, but she's singing back to each one of these band members. And you see, you know, the end of the end of this band, even though they didn't know it was the, you know, it was da Daisy knew it was her end. I think Daisy knew it was her end. But it was almost like she was saying goodbye to everybody because she knew that this was, yeah. that she was done. She was done. Yeah, it's so. great. It's so good. So, but I would just say the whole point of that is like, it's the idea of pulling that sound. I mean, she always said it was kind of about Fleetwood Mac. And so, right. and I think as the first track that it really, the track that's kind of the, this is what this song, this is what this band is about. This, this is what this show is about. I think they kind of had to lean into that more than yeah. on any other song, you know, yeah. the other song, I think it really, I needed to have the feel of Fleetwood Mac there. So, and I think they did it. They pulled yeah, it off. Yeah. Especially even down to this here in the chords, the, the, you know, the organ, the electric piano type stuff that in there, it's just really pulling those same um, ideas that are, were in. But as um, you said, not in a cheesy no tribute band kind of sound. When I heard the um, song for the first time and I heard that solo part, I was like, yes, this, they're doing it God. right. You know, this That's is so what it's supposed to sound like. You yeah. know, I didn't want it to sound like something new. And I didn't want it to be modern. I wanted it to be time, you know, period appropriate. Yeah. And they did that. Yeah. Even though probably most of these people that wrote these songs may have not even been alive when Fleetwood Mac you know, when the Rumors album no. came out and those types of things. Well, um, these people are born in the 80s, probably. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, they weren't around when those when those albums came, you know, when They're, those albums yeah. were released or when Fleetwood Mac was in their heyday. And yet they still, you know, were talented enough and skilled enough to be able to capture the uh, an essence, but still be very, very unique with the with the album. So next up, we have um, a, we have Regret Me. This was a hard one. This was a hard pill to swallow. Yes. We've discussed it 
at length, so I think we can move on from it. But I would say this goes back to the same theme that I've been talking about. Uh, I mean, once again, uh, before we get into Grit Me, I would say Honeycomb does the same thing where it, um, whenever that, that guitar solo is very minor, it's this very minor key, it's very kind of, um, and then we get into... At the end, when they, when she, the very last time they sing, how do we get here? How do we get out? It's, it's, they've changed the key again, and it's, it's major. It's, I think it's like a suspended chord or something. I looked it up, but like it changes again, and um, because it's resolving in, and I think what's interesting is resolving just like the end of the song kind of resolves in um, a different way, just like the story of the band resolves into now maybe i'm reading too much into it and they probably said like oh we just liked the way it ended but it's there now and that's how i interpret it i like that you're reading too much into it so then let's we can go to regret me and as okay. rachel said we have rachel has feelings about this that we've I discussed have feelings, but like, i'm gonna get i'm gonna get past it but but i will say i mean one of the original version had the amazing line when you hear rock and roll i hope you regret me you know that line yeah. i hope anyways it ruins rock and roll for you yes so we, yeah i just and see i just screwed up quoting the line so you can <laughs> cut okay. that out but anyway i mean the original version has some great lines in it um but i've gotten past it because i do like the song i do like the song so let's listen to once again we've got the this this, this these key changes that i think are really interesting going on and um, and, and I sound like a broken record, but I just think that there's a reason they're doing this for a reason. I really, truly believe. So we'll listen to it. You regret me and I'll regret you. Once again, it's the whole idea of minor. They're starting off. You regret me and I'll regret you. And we go through that um, a lot. Um, and it's very much um, this kind of in a minor, the minor key is the dominant key. We go into major chords, but the minor, it's in a, it's in the minor key. Right. And then we get, you know, and the song goes and goes and goes. And there's a part where um, she says, but I'm beating it to you, dude. And toward the end, we're about, you know, 219 out of 316 into the song. And she changes, and that's where it changes to a different key. Grab me, but I'm beating you to it, dude. Go ahead and regret me, but I always want to you. Okay, so, you know, you, you hear the difference between what we were hearing before and what we're hearing <laughs> there. And I think... Once again, let's think about this in the context of the story that we're telling. There's this, their, their fight, they have this fighting, there, there's this conflict, it's in minor key, the, um, and then we get to this part, and they are, at the end, they have learned to regret each other, but be at peace. So it's, I will too regret you, in a sense of, we will both regret the things we've done, but we, but that's okay. It's okay to have some regrets. And I feel like that's what they're saying at the end. And at first, you know, you and I both were saying we don't really like the I will too regret you because it sounds weird. But I think when I listen to it and have thought about it a lot lately, it's the idea of we're, I'm, I'm regretting it too. 
we're both regretting it. You know, you regret it. I regret it. There's things that we said, there's things that were done that we missed. There's things that we missed out on because we aren't together. Um, you know, I just think it's, um, it's deeper than I thought. And once again, that idea of kind of conflict and resolution is constantly going on in these songs. And I think the one thing that makes this album so good is that we keep for, you get into it so well that you keep forgetting that these songs are not written by Daisy and Billy. I mean, you know, that to me is like the thing about this that makes it so good and so unique and so special is that I listen to this and I don't think about this group of singer-songwriters as talented as they are writing these songs. I think about Daisy and Billy sitting down to write these songs or Billy sitting down to write these songs or Karen working out her parts. On the, I mean, that to me is what makes this so ridiculously amazing is that I can forget that it. This is Daisy Jones and the Six did not exist. I can forget that. Well, and it doesn't sound in, like manufactured in the sense that a way a lot of um, things like this. I mean, I would say, you know, successful ones, you know, like the monkeys and things like that, where which also I would say at the time pulled from the greatest songwriters of that time. So you've got Goff and King, you know, you've got Boyce Boyce Heart, you know, those, you know, it's the same kind of idea of pulling some of the best songwriters of the time to make great music. And then, of course, the Monkees themselves, Mike Nesmith, was a great songwriter on his own. But, for sure, for um, sure. If we go to the next song, and I have is You Were Gone? Yeah, You Were Gone. Okay. So You Were Gone, I think, is another example of a sad song that sounds happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, there's not, I don't have a whole lot of uh, stuff to say about it. I would say, um, listening to it, um, the, one of the chord pro- progressions in it really reminded me of, um, the Grateful Dead's Touch of Grey. I won't play it, but if you listen to those two songs, they're, um, they're similar. Um, and I think, um, this one, um, I think it starts off, um, and Bill, um, Sam's voice is, I think it's a little struggling because <laughs> it's a, it's a difficult uh, melody, mm-hmm. but then it, he gets into it. And I also think this song sounds a lot like kind of the Christine McVie um, songs yes. from Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. And, um, and the way everybody's singing on it, like there's full vocal tracks where, you know, a lot of Christine McVie songs especially really took advantage of the harmonies of them singing together. So um, I thought that was uh, what I noted about this. But I think it's a good song. And I mean, it's really sad. I mean, and I think you think about, um, I think this one, if you think about it, it's it's maybe not so, it's very much, I feel like a, um, a Billy song, but it wouldn't have happened without Daisy collaborating because she's the one who was like, you need to talk about how you messed up. Yeah. So, well, like you said, the li- I mean, the lyrics on this song, are really really beautiful like there's one there's one like verse it says a tree carving our names left high and alone nothing ever seems to stay that way not for too long where were you oh when I needed you you were gone when I needed you you were gone so I mean they're beautiful lyrics I think um but yeah it's this whole idea of I got I've gotta you you gotta you gotta face what you really did (laughs) right i mean i think he's he's kind of writing in camila's 
perspective in a way. Yeah. Like that that's how I that's how I always read it. So beautiful song. And then um then we go into more fun to miss and I think um this one I think sounds the most modern. Like a lot of the sound effect the effects, the reverb effects don't sound as um like the seventies reverb. I feel like they sound more in computer reverb to me. Yeah. Um, nothing against it. I just say I, I feel like it sounds um, a little bit more like that. Um, lots of layering of effects on this one. Layering of her voices that her that so you know that she's got going on. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, kind of fulfill, fills it fulfills the brief of what it needed to do. This song. Yeah. Well, you think about you know kind of where this song came in and you know him showing up. Her, she missed a session, didn't show up. Um, he went to go find her. She was drunk and high and he got her out of the pool and she's standing there and her, a petal of blood because her feet are all cut up. And, you know, she blew off an entire day of recording for them, comes back into the studio the next day and thinks that she's just going to come back to, you know, no consequences for that and that may have been, but Billy was going to give her some, Billy gave her some consequences in this song. And then, you know, she sits there and I mean, you can tell like, she doesn't want to, she doesn't want to do the song. She says she doesn't want to do the song. And then when she starts singing, she's just like real flat and he just keeps cutting her off, keeps cutting her off, keeps cutting her off. And then we know what happens next. He takes her out into the parking lot and they kiss. And then magically she comes in. Billy was extremely, we've talked about, you know, Billy's manipulation there, but she came back in and was, threw down this track well i think it's funny if you watch it on spotify the video because it's just the loop of that kiss it's mm -hmm. just a loop um so but it's really heavy it's really heavy it's one of the heavier songs you know it's in the it's like the 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 guitar is playing you know lower notes yes and um, it's just very it's very different from um a lot of the other songs and then the next one is kind of in that same vein, I feel like. And it starts off with kind of, it's a it's a looped backwards symbol, which, um, like, the first songs that I remember really hearing that is in, um, like, Tomorrow Never Knows by the Beatles and Rain, where it's got that, the symbol is played and it goes back and it makes this, like, kind of sound. And that's kind mm -hmm. of um, throughout, please. And then um, it's also interesting because there's these hard, like, piano chords on the downbeat. It's just like, choo, 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 it's like, a really dark. I mean, it's kind of a dark song. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not only lyrically, because the lyrics are pretty dark, but musically, it's a pretty dark song. Yeah. And so, and it's basically um, this idea of, like, basically stop tempting me in the way and then it's just mm -hmm. this hard and it's this please and i mean think about like in the world if this was the real world and you you're camila and you hear this song for the first time after you've already seen what's been going on right well and then we know that she you know she walked into him, the scene of him them or her getting up in the middle of the night and billy's outside on the phone and camilla sees the lyrics and then you know, they do the song and they go to the Aurora cover shoot and there's a lie, you know, Billy tells um, Camilla that Daisy wrote the song and then Daisy turns around and at the photo shoot says, oh yeah, he was, you know, he was out of his mind that day. And it's like, well, he said that you wrote the song. And she's like, N I don't know why he would say that. Um, so, I mean, it's just, it's a really, um, it's, it's got a lot of layers to it. 
in my opinion. It's got a lot of layers to it. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, they're using a lot of this, those techniques from like the Beatles. And then even, and even the vocals remind me of like kind of Beatles, like the Helter Skelter. Cause there's that. Yeah. Like there's kind of this stuff going on in that song that I think is um, interesting. Um, and, yeah. Cause you know, to me, this song isn't very Fleetwood Mac sounding. No, it does. I think to, I think you're hitting it very well. It does pick up on a lot of the later Beatles stuff that, um, you know, they kind of matured into. Yeah. Like it just, especially experimentation, but then the mm-hmm. idea of like that backwards mask, that playing tape loops backwards always is kind of, um, it's kind of unsettling, you know, when you hear it, cause you're like, this doesn't sound right. You know, it's kind of like the uncanny Valley of like, you know, whenever you see, um, computer generated people and they don't look quite right it's kind of un, like it's this thing where your brain is trying to process it and go that doesn't sound the way it's supposed to right so and then we get to my favorite song your favorite the album, song the river mm-hmm. and um i just want to talk about two things i want to talk about um the bridge on this song i mean um it, it once again is a song that starts out in a minor key and then it goes into a major key and so we're this is this constant thing here and um yeah lot, i mean as like i said lots of songs do it but um i just think it's really dominant in all of these all the songs that were written for this and i do think it's a lot about it's about showing conflict in song the way they show the conflict on the show and i, I really think there was probably a definite um gold of that um and in the sense it's also really easier to do because of the way these songs are written in the sense that they are kind of a lot of times kind of parts put together versus um, a traditional like pop song mm-hmm. so let me just play the bridge to this song I don't know it might not be the bridge but it's something it's this break where she goes off and mm-hmm. it's very different than what we were leading up to you know and it, it gets really intense and then we've got this drum break <laughs> and I would say again what I mean this drum break to me immediately reminded me of something so I will share you what I think it reminds me of So it's um, it's a lot slower in what they're doing in um, the river, but that kind of th- th- thud sound is mm-hmm. I think sounds just so much like Tusk. Like the first time I heard it, I was like, "That's a whole Tusk." So yeah. Um, well, and then that where she does get so big, I mean, that does sound like something you would hear Stevie Nicks do. Oh yeah, I think. In a very, like, kind of, especially the rawness of her voice mm-hmm. is very much like, um, you know, like The Chain and other, yeah. you know, songs by, um, so. Because there's and, a lot of, like, ethereal sound to Stevie Nicks's voice throughout the songs. But then there's some of those songs, yeah, where she gets just super raw and super mm-hmm. aggressive. And, yeah, it's a similar sound to me. Yeah, so. But yeah. 
That's a good connection between that and Tusk. I didn't pick that up. And the idea of just once again, there's this this constant kind of back and forth between minor keys and kind of, um, you know, and then kind of ending on happy. And this one definitely kind of um, doesn't really, it's very interesting the way it ends because it kind of fades out. And and then also I just still love there's uh, more bells in it again, um, Mm -hmm. kind of bringing the bells back. And then... um, the last part of the last song is called No Words. And to me, the harmonies really sound a lot like Fleetwood Mac on it. And there's like a lot of unresolved chords because a lot of times you hear a song and then you know, you kind of, ex- we all expect the next chord. We're, we're used to it. And then this one has a lot of unresolved chords. And, and it's kind of why you feel the whole time kind of while it's playing. And you feel his, the singer. Um, the singers um, their own unease and stuff mm-hmm. about this because they can't they can't resolve it either like it's the idea of mm-hmm. uh, you're lacking resolution in the actual chord structure and you're lacking resolution for them and in the lyrics they're talking about it so and then there's like a false ending and then it starts back up so it almost at the end it sounds like maybe it's resolved and then it starts back up right yeah. almost like it did at the beginning and so it's like this I you know this idea of there's not going to be resolution of this right so but let's um, stop for a second thinking that this is an LP. And again, I'm trying, I'm Googling as you're talking, trying to find out, like, can I get a list of where side, you know, B-side starts? But this is an LP. So this is the final track on the album. Yeah. What do you think about it being the final track of an it's, album? It's very dark. I think it's a weird, like, to me, the river would have been. Yeah. A, if I'm if I'm putting out an LP, it's the '70s, and I'm thinking I'm putting out an LP. I'm gonna end the LP. I would have ended it with the river. I would not have ended it with no words. No, I don't. I know, but I think that that's like as as you're as a storyteller, they're putting it there for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to think. Like, uh, I feel like. I'm trying to think if I can think of an album that does kind of similarly end in a dark space. Let's look at Rumors just real quick, and because I, I can't remember the track list for Rumors. Okay, so I'm looking at I'm looking at one on Spotify that has the last track as um, Gold Dust Woman. That's a little dark. Okay, so I'm gonna be weird for a second because you know how I am. So, and you may remember the song, you may not, but you choose the Joshua Tree. I just decided to go look at that one because that's my band. So the final track of U2's The Joshua Tree is Mothers of the Disappeared, which is a very dark, quiet song. I guess it's not it's not a Broadway album. I guess maybe that's where I'm looking at. Like on a Broadway album, you have like the, you know, finale song that's big. and yeah. But when we're talking rock and roll, maybe it's not that big. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Is it? I do think it's interesting, but as far as like when you think of the storytelling of the song, you mm-hmm. know, it's, um, and you wonder where like where he was, where Billy was when he was writing this, or where they were when they were writing this. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So there you go. That's it. So there's the Aurora album in way more detail than you probably ever wanted. Some people wanted to hear, but that's okay. That's how we are. That's how we roll. I don't know. I thought it was fun. We'll see I thought it was it, great too. We'll and you took it, gets, it deeper than I ever could have. Let's so. see if it gets blocked by YouTube. We'll see if it gets blocked by YouTube. I'll figure out solutions if it does. You're going to have uh, a lot of editing to do on this one, my friend. Yeah. 
I'll get it done. I appreciate you for doing that. Um, I would say, like, let's talk about um, season two of Nobody's Muses is going to be about um, the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Evelyn Hugo, yeah. And we're probably going to, that's probably going to be maybe September that that starts because we've got vacations and and Yeah, and I think probably what we'll have to do is, I mean, because again, with this writer's strike, I don't know where they are. I mean, we haven't even gotten any casting announcements. So who knows when this actually might drop. So we're going to start with the audio and the book and dive into those. And then, you know, maybe that will, maybe that will create season three where we go. Where we go through the Netflix original series, if they ever get it into production. I, I think they will. Um, I think with, you know, she had her movie that came out, didn't really have much success um, for that book. But I think now with the nominations for um, Daisy Jones, I think that will help push Netflix forward with making sure that this gets made. So, I mean, I can't see. imagine what star would not want to do this movie. No, it's such a great, two great female, you know, roles. Yeah. I mean, just so, and and also a ton of other, even like supporting roles for amazing supporting Melrose, Mel roles. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's, I think it's going to get made. I just don't know when, but we'll dive into the book and that'll be good because I need, I haven't re, I listened to the audio. I didn't actually read the physical book. Um, the audio was really, really good. Again, we have that interviewer style. So I'll dive into the book as well. And we'll probably be back in mid-September-ish or so. Yeah, we'll do um, chapters. Um, we'll have to figure out how to do it by chapters. Yeah. Try to try to not have marathon sessions. Try to keep it at an hour. So, yeah, um, there you go. There you go. You know, but All right. This- Don't forget, you can find us on YouTube or wherever you stream your favorite podcast. We are on Instagram at Nobody's Muses. Feel free to send us an email, nobodysmuses at gmail.com. Send us a DM through Instagram. Shoot us a comment on YouTube, wherever. Um, Like, follow, subscribe, share, all those things. Um, We would appreciate it. And we will see you all back very, very soon.